You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together. This morning we turn to the first letter of Paul to Timothy, chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by faith. The goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which he entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the king eternal Immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. I preach to you this morning from the word of our God as you find it at the beginning of Paul's second letter to Timothy, verses 1 to 7. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace Mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. 
I thank God, whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day. I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you, so that I may be filled with joy. I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, a number of years ago, it became apparent that our theological college in Hamilton needed to do more when it came to training young men for the ministry of the gospel. It was expected that they would sit in class from September to April, listening to lectures, interacting with their professors. It was also expected that they would do research, write papers, make presentations, and pass exams. And in addition, it was expected that at the conclusion of their third year of study, they would apply for preaching consent and proclaim an edifying word in the churches. Nevertheless, something was still missing. It had to do with the more hands-on side of ministry. It had to do with getting into the congregations and connecting with people and local pastors. And so what happened was that a pastoral training program was established, and now all the students wanting to enter into the ministry in our Canadian Reformed churches need to work in a local congregation under a local minister for at least a number of months. In short, they need to be mentored, which means they need to come under the wings of an experienced pastor, The young need to learn from the old. The inexperienced need to learn from the experienced. And I might also add that it was introduced, that after it was introduced, this program met with great success. Nevertheless, great success doesn't always mean universal agreement. For also in connection with this program, a few dissenting voices could be heard Why bother? Why do we need to go into these newfangled kind of directions? Why can't we stick with the tried and the true and with the old ways? Interesting comments, or if you will, complaints. However, what those who make them do not seem to realize is that what is happening in our seminary today with respect to our students is actually nothing new at all. Instead, it is something very, very old. And as a matter of fact, you can say it goes all the way back to Paul and what he does with Timothy. For what is the Apostle Paul doing with Timothy? He's mentoring him. You can read about that in these letters. He's enrolling him in his pastoral training program. And not only that, for not only does Paul enroll him, 
But you can say that in these letters, Paul also gives us a peek into such a program. He allows us, as it were, to see behind the scenes. Do you ever wonder what it is that an experienced pastor says in private to his trainee? Do you perhaps long to eavesdrop? Are you curious about the discussions that go on? Well, here in Paul's letters to Timothy, you can hear a good part of what goes on. And especially in the second letter, Paul allows you and I to listen in as he mentors Timothy in the truth. And so let's do that. I preach to you on the following theme. The Apostle Paul writes special words to a special son. And we shall see that these are loaded words, thankful words, pressing words too. So the Apostle Paul writes special words to a special son. They're loaded words, thankful words, and pressing words. Well, beloved, you and I get a lot of mail. The only problem is that a lot of it is junk mail. We have only to see the company name on the cover of a letter that we receive and we start ripping it up already. Another credit card company. We've only to see the name on the inbox of our computer and we're ready to push delete. So much of our mail and our letters are not even worth opening and reading. However, am I ever glad that Timothy did not react in that way when he received a letter from the Apostle Paul? For it shows you that some letters, yes, some are still worth opening and reading. And here's one of them. Paul wrote this letter most likely when he was still in prison. He wrote it as a letter from a mentor to a student. But he also wrote it as a letter to be read and to be studied in all the churches. It's personal, but not purely personal. Look at how it opens. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Now what does that kind of an introduction tell you? First of all, you can say it has kind of an official ring to it, doesn't it? It's not a case of, hi, Timothy, this is Paul, how are you doing today? Now, this is a letter from Paul, the apostle. In other words, this is a letter from someone who has been an eye and ear witness of, of something special, who belongs to a designated, a particular designated group, who has a particular kind of a sorry. He represents someone. And who does he represent? Well, Paul represents Jesus Christ. He says he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. Notice, it's a small thing here, but it's important. He doesn't say he's an apostle of Jesus Christ, but rather he reverses the names. And why does he reverse them? And why here does he put Christ first? 
Well, it's to highlight and to stress the matter of office. Christ means, as you know, Messiah, anointed. It points to our Savior's great office as prophet, priest, and king. And at the same time, the name Jesus points more often to his person. So Paul mentions his office, and he mentions Christ as an office bearer first. This is a letter from someone entrusted with a sacred office. Yes, and then notice that in this connection he declares himself to be the apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. If you know Paul a little, you know that his opponents were always attacking him and claiming that he, he wasn't really an apostle at all. He didn't belong, they said, to the circle of the original twelve. And hence, he was making all manner of false claims for himself. But not so, says Paul. Christ appeared to me on the Damascus road and he commissioned me. I am an apostle by the express will and revelation of Jesus Christ. As Paul is an apostle, a real apostle. But an apostle of what? Notice the remaining words in verse 1. According to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. What's the key word there? It's the word life. What's the key expression there? The promise of life. Now what does that mean? It means that Christ has commissioned Paul to preach the gospel, the good news, the glad tidings. And what is that news? What are those tidings all about? They're about life. New life. Resurrection life. Eternal life. About life in Jesus Christ. It's about the promise that all who believe in him shall have life and have it abundantly. It's as John says in his letter, chapter 5, verse 12, he who has the Son has life. Indeed, what is the Bible all about but about life? It opens with the tree of life. It ends with the river and the tree of life. And in between, it speaks about the waters of life. Paul, in other words, has been entrusted by Christ Jesus with the glorious task of spreading the gospel of life. So, beloved, you can see this is no letter from an ordinary Joe. No, this is a letter from Paul, the apostle of Christ Jesus. But notice also a letter with a particular address. And the address is Timothy. Who's Timothy? We'll come back to that in a moment. 
Here, really, all we need to understand is that Timothy is Paul's spiritual son, his protege, his student, his apprentice, if you will. And Paul wishes him well. Notice this is not a letter of reprimand or accusation. No, look at the first things that Paul says to Timothy. Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a beautiful way to begin a letter. And what a loaded way as well. For what we have here are three wonderful gospel words. There is grace, which stands for God's overflowing love and kindness to those who are utterly undeserving. There is mercy, which is all about the care and the compassion that God shows to the weak and the defenseless. There is peace, and it has to do with the reconciliation that God grants and the restored relationships that he fosters. Here we have, as one scholar puts it, God's three blessings to all of us who believe in him. Grace to the worthless, mercy to the helpless, and peace to the restless. All in all then, beloved, these opening words of Paul represent a loaded beginning. They tell us something about Paul, but they also tell us even more about our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. They remind us right away that our God and Savior uses human instruments to grow His church, gives a wonderful gospel of life, to his church, and grants rich blessings of grace, mercy, and peace to his church. How spoiled we are as children of God. But you know, there's more, for the Apostle Paul also moves on from the general to the specific, from introduction to application. He turns the spotlight next on Timothy. And when he does so, he is full, as you can read, of thanksgiving. First, he's thankful for Timothy as a person. He shows this by revealing that Timothy has been constantly in his prayers. And indeed, in these prayers, he thanks God for the person of Timothy, for the gifts given to Timothy, for the role that Timothy may play in the increase of the church. He's just thrilled even to the point of tears to have him as a fellow worker for the gospel. Why, every time he thinks of Timothy, it brings joy to his old and imprisoned heart. And you know what it is that especially brings joy to him? It has to do with Timothy's sincere faith. Whenever the apostle sees or is reminded of how Timothy came to faith and is growing in the faith, his heart soars. Why, in that regard, the apostle Paul, who never had any children of his own, reacts as a true parent. For what 
really makes our hearts as Christian parents sore. It's not the trades that our children learn or the degrees that they earn as important as they may be. It's not the jobs that they get and it's not the money that they make. It's not the houses that they live in or the cars that they drive. It's not the power or the influence that they exercise. Now what makes the heart of every Christian parent sore is the face that blooms and blossoms in the lives and hearts of their children. To have children of faith, there is no greater blessing than that. But nevertheless, Paul also reminds us in Timothy that such children do not just happen or fall out of the sky. No, they're the product of godly homes. Paul makes specific mention of Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. No mention notice is made of his father, although it is known that his father was a Greek unbeliever. But nevertheless, his mother and his grandmother were not unbelievers, for they were both Jews. Jews who had embraced the gospel when Paul came and brought it in Lystra. You can read about that in Acts 16. So Timothy had really been raised in a home where there was faith, first Jewish faith, and thereafter Christian faith. And together Lois and Eunice had familiarized him from infancy with the sacred writings. Together they had consciously and diligently and purposely nurtured him in the faith. In other words, they didn't leave it to luck or chance or compromise. As you know, there are parents who leave all of this to those kind of things. Some even call them Christian parents. They'll tell you that religion really is a choice that their children are going to have to make when they grow older. And then whether or not they want to be Reformed or Mennonite, Roman Catholic or Mormon, that's their decision. We leave it up to them. As if it makes little or no difference. And then there are also parents who leave their children free. Free to roam the streets at night. Free to watch what they like in a multi-channel universe. Free to have computers in their bedrooms and free to go out with whomever they like. Beloved, we live in an age of indulgent parenting. And the latest example of that may very well be the hockey star, the former hockey star Guy Lafleur. He happens to be up for perjury charges because he lied about his son. He said to the courts that his son was at home while actually he was spending a number of nights in a local hotel with his 16-year-old girlfriend. 
Now, Guy Lafleur may have been good at hockey, but obviously his parenting skills are another story. You know, we also live in an age of automatic parenting. The assumption, even sometimes among us, is that as long as our children grow up in Christian homes or in the so-called Christian environments, they will kind of catch, like a disease, the religion. You don't really have to talk to them or hold them accountable or ask them about their friends or tell them to go to church or get involved. It'll just happen. Again, we'd say, what silliness and what nonsense. Good Christian parenting is intentional, directional, verbal, exemplary, specific. It takes prayer and grace, patience and forgiveness, insistence and persistence, humility and love. Fortitude and lots of strength. Beloved, as parents and grandparents too, it's your task to teach your offspring and to nurture them in godliness. And as children, it's your task to receive that kind of instruction and modeling with thankfulness, to be born and raised in a Christian home. And I'll have more to say about that tonight to the young people, but that's a blessing beyond compare. You may not realize it or appreciate it when you're young, but as you get older, you'll see it. And you'll cherish it. And so, beloved, from words of introduction to words of parenting, we come next to one more thing, namely words directed to Timothy and about Timothy. Specifically, the Apostle Paul now proceeds and he says to Timothy that he needs to fan into flame this gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What gift is Paul referring to? He doesn't say as such, although it must have had something to do with a gift related to the work of ministry. Does Timothy perhaps have the gift of prophetic speech? Does he perhaps have the gift of teaching? Is perhaps Timothy a great encourager? We don't know. But he had something special. Something that was confirmed in him by the laying on of Paul's hands. And now regardless of what it is, Paul wants Timothy to do something with it. He wants him to, to fan it into flames. In other words, to kindle it, to rekindle it, to stir it up, to keep it very much alive and burning brightly. And I think we can all relate to that imagery. 
Camping season is here again. And what's camping without a campfire? You get to crumple some paper, you chop some kindling, you strike a match, and in no time at all you have a roaring inferno. But of course there's more to it. Where we realize that such an inferno will soon flame out as well, you need to not only watch it, but you also need to keep feeding it. Giving it more fuel. Otherwise it'll slowly die. Now, beloved, what applies to fire, the Apostle Paul says, applies as well to spiritual gifts. They need to be fanned. They need to be kept burning. They need more fuel and attention all the time. In other words, they need prayer and practice, commitment and determination. They need to be exercised every day and exercised boldly. But yet sometimes that doesn't happen. In particular, when believers are young, weak, insecure, perhaps overly sensitive, shy or hesitant, they may forget to keep the flames burning. And perhaps Timothy is by nature and personality that kind of a person. Perhaps he's going to forget. Maybe he's going to overlook. Well, be that as it may, Paul insists that his gift and our gifts need to burn brightly. Why do they need to burn brightly? Well, he says, for God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. In other words, Timothy, and with him Christians everywhere, and Christian office bearers as well, must exercise their gifts, and that not in an insecure, fearful, timid, hesitant, doubtful, dubious, and weak manner. Now Paul says you take your gift. And you exercise it, first of all, in a spirit of power. That means being confident that it's God who's given it to you. And it's God who will cause it to flourish in you. And it is God who will use it in and through you. And he says you must also exercise your gifts in a spirit of love, which means avoiding pride and arrogance. Oh, I have this gift. I'm the greatest. Now use it humbly, compassionately, tenderly. And he says also use your gifts in a spirit of self-discipline. With restraint, in other words. With wisdom. With discernment. Use them wisely. Use them well. And why should we do that? What's Paul's ultimate aim? What's his aim for Timothy? What's his aim for us? 
Surely his aim is that you and I, that all of us become effective servants of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Christ desires followers and servants who heed Paul's apostolic message, who are filled with sincere faith, and who keep their gifts working. And he also desires a church that will stand for the truth, that will be a light for the gospel, that will bring glory to him, to his Father, to the Spirit, the triune God. Beloved, may God, who is ever gracious, help us and enable us and bless us to be such followers and such a church. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.